0: brought all the things you've got a computer
1: yeah well that was the just get that email sent out when and you when need i to... saw your uh the book in front of you <laughs> i thought i might need a book in front of me
0: <laughs> so i i picked up like a book and you picked the book so obviously you have better taste than i do
1: no i i saw the title of your book and was like well if it's what I think we might be talking about, I just wanted uh, some things to reference. I don't know if I mean. I don't know if we'll get to it or not. Also, whenever uh, we did the episode with Thomas, uh-huh. he was like, "So, do you guys have a Bible in here?" And I was like,
0: "Probably should. I mean, we. I'm sure we could go find one." Welcome back to this week's uh, episode. We are excited that you tuned in with us, and many of you have commented on the past couple weeks that you've enjoyed us being back in. Uh, But all that comes with a a bit of unfortunate news because uh, possibly my wife and I will be having a baby uh, here in the next week. And yeah, so this may be my last podcast for a couple weeks at least until I can get back in the office and (laughs) travel. Travis told me he goes, "Unless you show me how to hit the record button, I'm not going to know what to Okay, do. <laughs> I can hit the
1: record button. It's the editing and uploading after that." So, we yeah, don't, as our coworker Nathan likes to point out, I'm the world's worst millennial with technology.
0: So That's not true. No, it's not, but it's not too far off either. No. I mean, you're not I wouldn't say that you're the wor- you are adaptable, I'll say that. So like when you don't know something, you're not afraid to learn something where most people are just like, well, I'm not going to learn that stuff. It's not important anyway." So, I would say that you are a notch above most boomers.
1: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, that's man. I'm
0: try- <laughs> It's not a th- no. I'm I'll tell you what. No offense to the boomers out I, there listening. I love it when uh our older adults come to me and they're like, "Hey, look at what I did on my phone or look what I can do." I'm like, that's fantastic. And you know, some of it, I'm like, I didn't even know I could do that on a phone. So I guess if I had unlimited time to kind of play and and goof around on some of that stuff, it'd be awesome. I honestly just use technology to watch YouTube videos, uh, sell stuff on Facebook Marketplace, send out an email here and there. Okay, you say that, but you design the church website. You do all the podcast stuff. Yeah, you help no me with one, sound equipment But stuff. no one likes the church website, so did I really do anything good? You still made it. I couldn't do that, so... <laughs> you just buy the template and drag and drop. <laughs> okay, maybe I could figure it out. It's just a step above clip art, so you could do it. But... Um, but yeah, so we're going to record this one today, hopefully have it out in the morning for you guys, but we may have to take a break. We're not really sure yet, so we're just going to kind of wing it. Um, depends on the baby. Depends on the baby. So I I did say, I will say this, I did hug my wife today, and it was much easier to hug her, you know, because I was like, well, something's different. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I can hug you. Or not having to like hunch like a hunchback to like hug her because she's got this <laughs> massive watermelon sticking out of her, and um and I said I think he's dropped, I think we're getting close. So and she has a lot of energy today, where for the past nine months she's had zero energy, and so I'm like okay, I think your body is getting you prepped and ready, giving you a rush of endorphins so that you can, so uh, it could be any day now. I don't know, but I'm fine either way. I'm excited. Uh, we're excited as a family. So, but with that, um, I'll be taking a few weeks off in there to help take care of family and kiddos, give Melina some time to rest and recoup and, uh, just enjoy new baby time without having to change poo-poo diapers and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so we're going to try our best to kind of get things rolling today. Uh, and the best way that we have started is with a cup of coffee and believe it or not, it two twenty in the afternoon. And yes, we are still drinking coffee and still consuming it because that's part of being a believer in jesus um so anyways today is an ethiopian natural it's from the yurga reason region of ethiopia so yeah what are your thoughts travis um first sip was good i'm
1: liking it more as it cools that seems to be a, a theme with the coffee that you roast yeah i don't know if that has something to do with your roaster or if it's just I don't know. Like It's
0: getting sweeter as it cools. It gets sweeter and you get a lot more of the fruity-like tones, like some of the blueberry-ish or the strawberry-ish that kind of comes out yep. in it. There's
1: almost like a lemon,
0: like a citrus brightness to it. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what I'm yeah. talking about? Let's totally see it now. It's a good coffee. I've been happy with it. Um, it's some that I roasted up for the BSM for their uh, orientation. And so whatever's left over, Ooh, I tried to. You're getting fancy stuff. I know. Well, they ordered it. And I There's said, also like dokey. a floral, like front of mouth feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say this one's probably been one of the more better ones that I've done recently. Part of that is the bean, though, like the quality of the bean. Um, I did notice that some sometimes when I purchase a bean, it's not as good a quality <laughs> as some of the other ones, and uh, I don't think it's even. With is the, there a big price difference, like in the? It varies. It. It varies. So, like um, a washed, especially like a washed from Brazil. Normally, you can get those from anywhere from five to six dollars a pound. A natural process from like Ethiopia or Kenya. It just depends on what region it's from and how much uh, stock they have. It is that really
1: from- like the coffee itself, or more like making up for the transportation cost? Because like Brazil's a lot closer than Ethiopia.
0: I'm sure there's some of that too, but I also think it is the farms uh what they're able to produce and what i mean supply demand yeah if a farm is only able to produce you know let's say 100 or 200 pounds of harvest and i'm a company and i want to get 50 pounds of it well i'm gonna have to pay because somebody else is going to want another 50 pounds you know so it can be i'm sure it can be kind of cutthroat um but for me i think the brazil yeah when you start talking about um coffee from Brazil and plus Brazil just has a more massive quantity of coffee that they're able to produce because of the region because of the growing season um where Ethiopia you can get kind of tricky on some of that just depending but the natural processes to me I've always found have been a little bit more expensive and I don't know if that's just because of the wait time where a wash process you're not having to wait as long for it to ferment and do where in a natural process, you're having to give it more time. I would um, expect
1: it would also have something to do with like just the nature of third wave coffee and mm-hmm. like specialty shops wanting the the fancy things like the natural process from Ethiopia. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like it's what a lot of snobs think of as like the best of the best. And so, if there's a demand for it,
0: like naturally, their costs yeah. are going to go up. Well, and coffee is one of those things too, where buying in bulk is always cheaper. It's weird, like we talk about bulk purchasing and bulk wholesale and things like that. But when I can buy a 65 pound box of coffee, I can get it for $4 a pound where if I bought the same coffee, but only like five pounds, I'm going to be paying like $7 a pound. So you really have to determine, you know, how much do I want to keep on hand versus how much, uh, like, like even sweet Maria is one of the, one of the suppliers I buy from, they sell it in the, uh, like 130 pound, Type bags and they'll just send you the whole bag and um i haven't done that yet because we we're talking a lot of money but um i think 130 pound maybe it's not it's like 60 i don't know anyway so it can get real expensive uh, real quick and but then too you have to be careful because some of those companies don't do as big of a job in the sourcing Like they just kind of get from farms and then they just repackage it and go. Uh, But some of these guys are real big on who they source from and what farms they source from. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they've done the cuppings and they've done all the stuff to kind of get it um, manageable. You
1: know, last week we were drinking the Oddly Correct and I saw online that they post a picture that they recently took like three or four of their baristas to one of the farms that they would buy directly from in Colombia. Yeah. It's just like those are probably some of the only baristas in the world that are like, getting
0: to go to Columbia as part of their job. Oh, man. But I think that's that's part of that from farm to cup. Once you understand the process, you take a little bit more pride in it. I just can't. I don't have time. I don't have the money or the energy to say, hey, I want to go check out some farmers. You know? Sure. Well, that's what they do full-time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do that full-time. So no. if I did do it full-time, yeah, that's a different story. But how much coffee do you have to roast, produce, sell, brew, and all that to make it full-time? A lot. A lot. So unless you want me to do that full time, uh, you can give <laughs> to Pine Curtain Coffee and we will make sure that we can get some good roasting. Um, but with that being said, so we're, we're, we're jazzed up on some coffee today. We're ready to go. And we really walked into today with almost nothing on our brains or on our minds on what we want to talk about. I still don't know what we're doing. but <laughs> But we had some good pre-conversation. And, uh, that was always fun. And one of the topics I think that we talked about in that, which I think rolls into even this book that's in front of me and the book that's in front of you, uh, is the concept of biblical literacy. Like we talked about that just a hair there about the church and the way that they understand and interpret scripture. Um, and that's been something that I've kind of wrestled with and kind of thought through a lot as we come into the fall and I've been playing around with different topics and ideas for Bible study uh, maybe on like Wednesday nights or something that I could leave I always kind of keep coming back to biblical literacy not to the point of reading the Bible but to the point of understanding the content within the Bible and I think that's part of where we are illiterate as churches people, Christians, when it comes to scripture is because we can set up like a 90 day reading program and, and, or a year long reading program, um, but never develop a intentional theology out of that. Like we almost just read out of obligation as opposed to, uh, reading in such a way that have, that has meaning. And that's something I struggled with. Like, do you journal at all? I don't. I've tried several
1: times to get into it because it, was like a trendy thing to do for a little while, but it's not been something that I've ever stuck with.
0: I'm not a journaler. Like I don't like my own thoughts for the most part. (laughs) Um but I've always kind of understood it as like, oh well you need to journal. Like journal the things that God's telling you and blah blah blah. And I always made it super complicated. I never just could could write down and just say, here's the basic fundamental interpretation of what's going on in my brain and in my heart today yeah well different
1: people mean different things when they say journal like some people just free flow their thoughts like in like a solid stream of consciousness onto paper other people do like what they call like bullet journaling where you're just hitting like like once and it's at a time you know and so there's different methods and models and
0: i don't know if i could free flow my thoughts Got to write really fast, and then I can't read my handwriting. I I don't even think it's that. I think it's just I'm gonna go from like one thing that's deep theologically, and if I just keep writing, it's gonna end up being some random tangent about what kind of groceries I need to pick up at the end (laughs) of the day. Because that's just how my brain works, though. Like to stay focused in on a subject for far too long is difficult. Preaching is difficult for me on that because even in the midst of preaching, like I'll be talking on a point or um, pulling pulling apart like a passage and I'll be talking and talking about it and then my brain is racing in a thousand different directions it's like oh I should say this because that's gonna to talk about this oh and what about this and oh don't get out of yourself because because you, in my head even though I have like detailed outlines and things like that that I'm working off of uh, I just kind of want to keep going sometimes on subjects and so I think that's where journaling would be terrible for me because I would want to go real deep theologically on it But then my brain would be so tired and it would just be like, why are you doing this to me? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I think that's one of the things that I've I've always been curious about. Like when you grew up in youth group and we, we both know who your youth pastor was. So if he's listening, which I doubt he is, um, but if he's listening, we love you and you're a cool dude. But growing up like through youth group here in Nacogdoches, growing up even at FBC NAC, like. Was biblical literacy something that, I guess, defining biblical literacy is probably where we should start and then maybe ask you that. Um, So when I talk about biblical literacy, I'm talking about not just knowing about the story, but knowing the details of the story. And to me, the character of God that is contained within that and what that means kind of for our world today, it's more than just knowing where the books in the Bible are but knowing kind of a little bit of the context and the history going on behind it, too. I mean, what what do you kind of define it as?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think of biblical literacy. I mean, I think about it how you said, but also just like how familiar a person or group of people are with the Bible as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of American Christians, it's like, yeah, I could tell you about Adam and Eve and then Noah and Abraham and I know he had some kids and then there was that Moses guy and it's like <laughs> we kind of know the story or like know it well enough to like it's familiar. Like, yeah, David and Goliath, yeah. you know, what whatever the story. I'm I'm familiar, but we don't have much of a spiritual discipline or practice that regularly like revisits like i know some people read the bible through like every single year but that's few that's, and far between yeah. um and so it's like we kind of have this working knowledge and i know they're not as popular now but like when i was in like elementary middle school was when the the lord of the rings movies came out and yeah. so like even through high school for me it's like those movies were super super popular and you know, I mean, I was friends with a bunch of nerds, myself included, but, like, those movies were really popular, and then there came this point where it's, like, the culture sort of, like, got Lord of the Rings references and stuff, but it was, like, no one's actually read the book or books, <laughs> um, and so it's, like, yeah, I can kind of, like, yeah, Gandalf and Saruman and the wizards, but, like, it's, like, do you actually know the story, or, yeah. like, do you know the parts that aren't in the movie, or... Um, and I kind of feel like we do the same thing with the Bible. It's like, yeah, we we know it. Sure. Yeah. But but I think developing a culture within our people that knows the stories deeply and not just knows them intellectually, but like knows how that applies to you, how that applies to our future, how that
0: you know, all of those sorts of things. So that's growing up in like youth group too, like how how prevalent was that like how much of that did they impress upon you like don't just don't just read over the story but dive into the story
1: I remember in youth group in particular he really pushed um this thing called like the 1 minute bible yeah and so it's what it sounds like it was like a 1 minute devotional super short but the idea was like you know teenagers aren't exactly the most focused group of people and so it was Righteous. like if if we can get you just to agree to 1 minute a day yeah. we're going to slowly walk through the mm-hmm. you know the overarching story of scripture um and there was a big push for it i don't know how well it was received i mean i can say myself that i did not do it <laughs> um i don't know if that says more about me or the strategy itself but um I mean, we did different things like we'd walk through certain books and stuff. I remember studying James as a youth group that was really impactful. Um, we had this thing on Monday nights that we called MTT, which was man talk time. And all the guys in the youth group would go over to his house and we'd go through different studies and topics and including revelation. I made him do a revelation study because I wanted nice. to understand that in high school. And uh so we we did a lot of New Testament stuff, which is great. I mean, I do a lot of New Testament stuff, right. But, but if you're actually talking about understanding the entire Old Testament narrative, I think that's something that we all find challenging to find compelling um, you know, whether you're working with youth or senior adults or anyone in between, like cover to cover
0: mm-hmm.
1: just because there's so much information. Yeah. Talking about the different genres um all of the different time periods the different languages i mean like it's a it's a big task and so finding a way to do it that's manageable but thorough is the tricky
0: part i think that's too because we you know sometimes we get questions that um and i remember even from like college when i was doing my degree in ministry and uh, especially relatives. Relatives are the best about giving you biblical questions because they want to like, I don't think it's like a testing of your knowledge so much as it's just, Hey, I don't understand why this is the way it is. And I remember being in college going, I don't understand why that is the way it is. And I think even at times now in my, my part of my life where I'm at, there are moments where people jump in with questions and, um, and in the process of jumping in with those questions, we have to sit back and either answer, try to answer them on the fly. And I always thought that was funny um, when people would tell us, oh, hey, um, you need to be able to uh, give me this random fact about Scripture now. You know, um, and I think that was one of those things that always kind of threw me for a loop because uh, when people would come up to me and they'd say, hey, I got a question about the Bible, I would freeze up because so I was like, oh no, <laughs> like what question is this going to be? Can I answer it? And I just got used to saying, I don't know. Let me look that up. Let me go look back and look at that. And I felt so dumb afterwards. I was like, man, yeah, uh, like I'm similar.
1: To- like I feel like people ask like, so what do you do all week? And it's like, "Well, I'm usually studying and writing lessons and stuff. And they're like, but didn't you go to school for that? And it's like, yeah, but I don't remember every fact of the thousands of pages that I read. And it's you know, you got to
0: come back to it and all of that. Yeah. And I think that is, that to me is really the thing because, uh, we have to be able to, like, we try our very best to know what we can, how we can, when we can, but there are certain things that we just don't know. Um, because of the simple fact that, um, Sorry, I'm doing I'm doing a quick thing on my phone real quick while I also my wife is at Target picking up an order right now. She's like, what's your thing? Um so I am sending information to her real quick as I also record a podcast. We're gonna edit uh, this out, right? No way. No. We're gonna keep this up. Why not? That's our that's our hourly content. She's fine. Uh anyway, so when we talk about the Bible, um when we get those questions, it it, it throws me for a loop because I think people really do believe that we sit around in our office, feet propped up, coffee in hand, and we just read scripture all day long. I mean, if I was a monk, 100%, like that would be focused on my, uh, meditating on scripture, devoted in prayer, um being that wise witness, you know, um and so I think that if if that was what I was called to do, yeah but part of what the responsibility i think of a pastor is is you're leading people Uh, that's part of shepherding shepherding is leading and so you jesus was the master shepherd and so he led people um he either led them to him or uh, led them away from him because they were terrible and so i think that um i think that people get that confused sometimes like pastor does not mean a deep knowledgeable theologian a lot of times, pastors sometimes mean that we are like a practical theologian. So, like we, we, our job is to take practical application of scripture and to find ways to apply that into not only our personal lives but also the lives of people that uh, entrust their spiritual guidance with us. And I think that's a interesting part. But that comes back to again, when we look at biblical literacy, I always find it interesting especially working in youth or working with teenagers, of how uh, little information people actually knew. You know, like very they knew very little when it came to certain topics. Like we would say, hey, uh, like Noah and the Ark, that's always a fun one. It's like, let's talk about that. Well, yeah, you know, the animals got on the boat. Neat. But then even just getting to the part of the characters in the story, it's like, okay, so who was the one that God put in charge of the Ark? And they give you this blank stare like they don't know the answer and like Mo- Moses. And you being a youth person, you have to go close <laughs> like the, you're close. But I think that's part of the struggle of the American church for years. I think for years that we have reduced. Let me. I'm trying to find out the best way to say this without sounding like super pessimistic or negative, because that's the one thing I get reminded about all the time uh, here in the office is that sometimes I can be kind of cynical and pessimistic. So I'm trying to find a way to not to say this where it doesn't sound like that. Um, I think there have been times in the American church where we have faulted in giving people avenues to grow spiritually. And we talk about, we actually, we had a long conversation about this yesterday as it came to disciple making within the church, um, within the church context, the local church context, um, But I think that we have faulted at times from giving people a deep understanding of scripture, instead feeding them with programs to keep them entertained and coming to church. I mean, I don't know if that's what you have seen through church history or through any of the, and I don't want to say all of church history, I would say more modern church history. Um,
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think especially the challenge kind of post I mean, especially since the iPhone came out, which was 2007. Yeah. But really, even before that, with the advent of email and a whole bunch of things, like, I think we are so distracted and there are so many options. It's like, there used to be, like, especially in early American history, is like, right. the Bible was probably the only book in your house, and... That was like you could be doing something outside, and if it was dark, you'd come inside, light a candle, and you could talk to your family, you could read that book, or you could go to sleep. And it's like, that was your options. Right. Um, And not that all of American church history is good or anything like that, but like just your options for entertainment used to be so significantly small that people were just more biblically literate. And now you can scroll on TikTok for hours and hours and hours and not even realize how much time has gone by um you know much less netflix and disney plus and amazon prime and yeah. hulu and you know it goes on and on and on and on
0: well, um, and i think too there's always people vying for your attention oh yeah like there's a book out there i can't remember who wrote it i want to say it was anyway it's called the attention merchants and it's the rise of marketing within a western culture and how people would go overseas and pick up different nuances of color and scheme and different things like that and bring that back and create marketing that, that in such a way drew you in. And I think that that's still a thing today. I think that Oh yeah,
1: economists call it the attention economy. Yeah. Because like whether it's Facebook, which is one of the largest companies in the world that doesn't charge you for anything, but it's yeah. because of how much money they make on advertising. Yeah, And so it's all about how how can we keep your attention for as long as possible.
0: And the the church, I think, has struggled in that because you've got in the middle of that, like if you think about the areas of our lives that we need to be focused on on a regular basis, your physical area, there's so many things to grab your attention physically. You want a cheeseburger? There's like 80 billion fast food places for you to go to. You want to lose weight? they'll ship the meal to your door so you don't even have to like like go find a a healthy meal anymore they'll just dry ice it to your door so even in the physical sense there's gyms that offer gym memberships there's
1: yeah and 24-hour access yeah
0: i mean so you have all this ability so there's all this attention driven to our physical stuff and then when we think about like our emotional states even there's all the things that they say oh like especially in sociability where we want you to be sociable, we want you to do well. We're going to create this platform. We'll create this and do this and this and this. So there's programs created on that area. There's programs created on the mental side of this. It's like you need to rejuvenate and do for yourself. You need to. Um, and I'm, one of the things that I'm seeing right now a lot on like even Facebook news re- like feeds and and Facebook reels and things like that, because you get advertisements thrown in the middle of that too, is this whole concept of people saying. I quit my job and I started doing this and now I make this much money and I'm <laughs> mentally better because I'm not having to go to a cubicle every day. And I'm like, you are like 1% of the entire population that has the ability to do that. But you just got to buy their course for nine yeah. ninety nine. dollars you can course. learn how to do what they're doing. 9 99 for the next 12 months and then it goes up from there. Um, and I think that there's all these plans and programs and stuff that you can buy into. So the church I felt like has had to compete in the spiritual market and that sounds terrible calling it a spiritual market, but in reality in Western culture, spirituality is marketed to an extent.
1: Yeah. I mean like I know there's a bunch of like mindfulness and meditation stuff that's marketed now. Um, Buddhism became very popular as like an alternative religion in America for a little bit. But, um, You know, I'm also thinking about how easy most of those things and activities are. Maybe going to the gym, not so much, but like most of the other things we mentioned, you can do it on your couch or on a recliner, on your phone, laptop, computer, whatever. But the more difficult things, like whether that's reading the Bible or whether that's just reading, period, Mm -hmm. right? Like the number of Americans who actually read books is going down dramatically. Yeah. Um, Much less hard books. Yeah. Take anything like, that is considered a classic or poetry or anything like that. It's like, no, 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 give me, like, a magazine about celebrities. Yeah, let me read Dr. Um, Seuss. Yeah, so, like, not only are we in this attention economy, but in, like, while I do believe that the Bible is something that everyone can understand um, at a certain level, like, that doesn't mean that you won't have to study and look into things, but, like, it's, it is something that can be understood. It also doesn't mean that it's not hard at times. Parts right. of it are. And we're fighting a culture that wants to make everything as easy and seamless as possible And mm-hmm. that you don't have to do hard things anymore.
0: Well, and I think we're fighting a culture too, especially in the church, that wants everything to be accepting. Um, I was watching a video earlier of uh, Owen Strachan, and I think Colby Martin where they do that discussion on like a conservative Christian versus a, uh, progressive Christian, um, and, and kind of talking through these different concepts of sexuality and just the different things and hearing the thought process of how somebody goes from being a very conservative evangelical Christian to a progressive Christian and, uh, the idea of being all inclusive in those things, um, I find that even to be very interesting of how we feel like even as churches, we are having to compete in this market that if we do not uh, become all inclusive and all accepting of things, then we are going to uh, see our numbers diminish or things like that. And so what do we do? We ramp up more programs, right? Like, okay, well we got to get more people here. We got to do this. We got to have these things. So we ramp up our programs hoping that that's going to be the like flex tape fix for the hemorrhaging that's coming out the other side and especially i think right now in the evangelical world um because the evangelical is now being synonymous with fundamentalism and ultra right right right-wing conservatism like that's that's like if you say well i'm an evangelical (sighs) how dare you tell me no on my lifestyle? It's like, I never, I didn't even talk. What are you even believing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's been an interesting, an interesting part of this pendulum swing has been that where now even the whole idea of evangelicalism has been robbed from the church and has been placed within this kind of category. Um, but what's happened, I think, in the process and is for years, and I'm not talking about like recently, I'm talking about over generations now, the church has fought to increase its uh, attractiveness through programming in order to keep people coming to their local autonomous function and organization. And to me, I think that's been one of the things that has been a huge hindrance in the church. And I think it's also been one of the things that's caused a lot of biblical literacy in the church. This, this idea of all you need to do is come here and on Sunday morning, we're going to tell you everything we need to know, everything you need to know. You can learn on Sunday morning. That sounds eerily similar to another denomination that I know. You know what I mean? I mean, and I could be way off and it may just be me looking too broad at church history and not looking too like deep into it but I feel like one of the patterns that's that's continued to to rear its head in the church is and, and we talked about this yesterday if you give them enough pizza and Mountain Dew they'll come you know Yeah there's a lot there I'm trying to decide which direction to take it <laughs> um, sorry this is what happens when you come in unprepared I mean it's one of those things where it's like I eat me <laughs>
1: It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can, if, if you just come here on Sundays, we can explain the gospel to you, we can explain salvation, we yeah. can explain how to be involved as a church member, and that's true, but like, are you going to understand everything from Genesis to Revelation by coming here 52 Sundays a year? Absolutely not. Nope. Even if we preached for three hours every Sunday, <sighs> it's like we might make it through the Pentateuch, maybe, maybe, maybe if we <laughs> skim over some stuff, get close. Um, so, it's like yeah, we can talk about the the essentials, the super important things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if you come on Wednesday nights too, or part of a weekly Bible study or community group or whatever, it's like yeah, we can we can have more knowledge available. But that's assuming that you never miss a single event ever. Yeah. And it's like it, it's never it's never been the church's job to be like the sole distributor of theological knowledge. Yeah. Um like Christians throughout all of church history, I mean all the way back to Acts 2, like they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? Like mm-hmm. they were going back and reading what we call the Old Testament. And they were reading the letters that were circulating that we now call the new Testament. So like mm-hmm. the whole church, not just a pastor, not just a priest, not just a Bishop, like the whole church knew that they were responsible for seeking God and his word. And even now I feel like, you know, we set the bar kind of low, even with the people that are trying to do more. It's like, yeah, just been five minutes in your quiet time or 10 minutes in your quiet time. And like, that's great if you're doing that. Um, But, like, why are we setting the bar at five minutes of your day? Like, is your day so busy? Um, And, I mean, I get that we're all busy. But it's like, I can also go home and watch, like, three episodes of something on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And don't think twice about that. Yeah. But it's like, ooh, 15 minutes in my Bible? like. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that conversation, what's easy and what's hard. Yeah, and I think...
0: To me, that's that's one of the larger uh, struggles that I have found within the church as a whole um, is that when we began to isolate um, knowledge, we because I mean when even when you sc- read scripture, God has zero problems with imparting His knowledge and wisdom on us. Like there, everything in scripture is, we serve and we worship a very open God who is willing, if we request it, to impart wisdom to us, if we request it. And if we are earnest in heart and we're not trying to uh, seek anything for ourselves, like if I wanted to gain wisdom and knowledge from the Lord so I could be a pompous, arrogant turd, like that would be something that God would probably be like, hey, why don't you check your heart a little bit more before I start? (laughs) Um, But I know those guys. I mean, I know those guys that pride themselves on what they know not on their life. But I feel like that's caused, because of that inability for people to absorb themselves in the Word day and night, uh, to be involved in it, I feel like that's caused the church to even have to dumb down the message on Sunday mornings to where we have to speak more on issues of Christian living and morality that should come when people have a kingdom-focused mindset. Like when you have... A kingdom mindset and a Christian worldview, and you are involved in Scripture. The morality of the world around us, you're going to be able to look at that and go, "Well, this isn't this isn't anything new." Like we talk about even the rise of uh, homosexuality in the LGBTQIA uh, plus community. I got to make sure I get all the letters right. Um, we talk about the rise of that, but when we look at even the rise of moral issues and and fornication and things like that within just the new testament churches you got people coming out of pagan religions into relationship with jesus and they're trying to find ways that they can marry those two things together you know ride the fence and be on both worlds and paul clearly is like this is no you can't you can't do this he never said excommunicate them from the church he just said here is the instruction as it comes to these things it cannot be a regular practice of what you're doing. That's where I think Christianity was so different um, than any other religion at that time. Christianity was not a free-for-all. It was a, a boundary of acceptable living and a boundary of godly living that, that we got to follow. So I think what happens is on Sundays in churches, we have to almost reduce the content of Scripture down to this very simple, Applicable formation, so that people can walk away and go, "Oh, okay." Like I just don't need to be angry at Bobby for being so difficult with me. <laughs> um, yeah, like that should. Like patience is one of those things I'm always working on in my life, um, because I'm either impatient and wanting something to happen super quick, uh, or I don't practice patience when it comes with uh, people or my family or kids. So patience is always one of those things that I'm working on. Um, and trying to strive to do better at, but that comes from my looking at scripture, the understanding of scripture, Jesus's work in me, the Holy Spirit's work in me, um, and making all those things kind of come together to go. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be so difficult when it comes to this stuff. Maybe I should give people a break. Maybe I should. And and I was. I remember being a young. Uh, youth minister and seminarian. And uh, one of the questions I would always ask people, especially youth guys, it was always fun. I was always asked them, is Jesus Christ sufficient enough for people to come to church? Is Jesus Christ sufficient enough And to a T, they would tell me, yes, but you have to have a fun factor. Yes, but. (laughs) Yes, but. And I always tell them, I said, yes, but means that you think I'm wrong. Um, When you say yes, but, well. You want to say yes, but you're afraid your program would fall apart if you (sighs) took away the pizza and Mountain Dew. Right, right. And notably so, I mean, you're going to have that. But then I began to get real like, oh, the church is just so messed up because we do it all backwards. Well, yeah, we do it backwards. I've yet to come across any church that does it perfect, that doesn't seem to do something backwards, that in one end, they'll say it one way, and then you get down to the back end and you're like, you're not doing anything you just said. (laughs) And that was always a real struggle for me because I thought, golly, why would anyone want to be involved in something like that? But the reality is when you begin to work within groups of sinful people and you begin to work in groups of people that see the church for the organization that it is, not for the body that is called out, that's one of the struggles that we face. When we start collecting money in those plates on Sunday mornings and that money has to go somewhere, congratulations, you've created an organization. Like Whether you like it or not, that's part of it. If it was to where every Sunday morning money was collected into plates and that money like the next day went out and never stayed in a bank account, never paid for a staff member, never paid for air conditioning or plumbing or any of that. You just collected money and that money immediately went out into kingdom focused gospel centered work. People would be blown away by how different that would look in a mindset of Western Christianity. Um, pastors would not like that <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> That we would not be able to do podcasts. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like Francis Chan's house church thing in San Francisco. that There's a bunch of pastors and none of them are paid.
0: Yeah, but then and I love Francis Chan. I really appreciate his work in that and his kind of his always forward thinking. But he's got books, you know, I mean, he oh, yeah. uh, I mean, he he doesn't have to worry like 90 percent of the other pastors in the world have to worry <laughs> But that's also the beauty of where he can be at. Like he's in a position where he can create and do like that. And I don't think that most churches are far from that. Um, you know, even scripture is very clear and honest that you support your pastors, you support the spiritual leaders within your life, because it's our it's our responsibility and it's our weight that we have to carry in leading people into a kingdom focus and kingdom mindset. But I think we have to, at the same time, have a collective body of people that focus away from thinking about what kind of new program can we initiate to draw people in to where they begin to think about how can the kingdom of God, how can the kingdom of heaven, how can the kingdom be in my community? Like, how can I bring that about? And that's just not language you hear much in churches.
1: No. I think we'd all do good to read some more Dallas Willard. yeah, I mean, that there's a be lot may opening
0: a can of worms. But there's a lot of spiritual formation in there. You know, I think when you start reading guys like Willard and Foster... And well, you even start just reading, the
1: idea of the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, I feel like half people think it's heaven, half people think it's America itself. And it's like,
0: I don't know what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, when you look at even the Lord's Prayer, like even Jesus tells us, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So obviously... There is a desire, even of Jesus, that the kingdom that is in heaven, that this, this joy that is in heaven should have a place here on earth among Christians. I believe, I think that as Christians, we should be able to, to see that, sustain that, have that. Uh, and I'll go ahead and preface one of the things that I'm, I'm reading right now. I'm reading a book by a guy, uh, named Reggie McNeil. You know, Reggie's an interesting guy. He's an, uh, uh, SBC, uh, kind of growing up and then, uh, in seminary life and things like that began to really challenge a lot of, uh, things that he grew up, uh, understanding and believing. And in this process, God kind of guided him into, um, not necessarily away from SBC life, but just kind of a deeper understanding of what it means to, uh, work as a Christian do as a Christian, but also as a pastor and spiritual leader, how to focus in towards, uh, leading people to not just think about the organization, but to think about the kingdom of God that is at hand. And so um, it's an interesting book called Kingdom Come. Um, I'm about halfway through it, but yeah, it's yeah. been fun so far.
1: I remember the first time that I picked up Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. Oh yeah. He points out in Matthew chapter four, this is verse 17, uh, Matthew writes, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. And so many people think about the kingdom of God as like the thing that will be here when Jesus comes
0: back or yeah. he's
1: talking about heaven. But like when Jesus says it's at hand, it literally means like it is accessible now. Yeah. And he said that 2,000 years ago. And so I think we do ourselves a big disservice. Um, and, you know, I, I maybe starting a rabbit trail, but if you think about the kingdom of God as being like, the rule and reign of God, and that is displayed in people who are able to live in his will as opposed to people living in a contrary way to his will. Right. So, like, simple is just, like, living out the fruit of the Spirit is living within the kingdom of God because that's the way in which he wants you to live. Like That's kind of an oversimplification, but... um So, when you're talking about, like, the kingdom being seen and spread in our community, um, it's like... Does the program-heavy church actually display that?
0: Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's the overarching challenge of the whole thing. Um, And and we've done that. I think multiple times here where we've stepped back and said, you know, because we, you know, you read Rainer's simple church. I mean, you read all these other things that kind of come out. And um, but we step back and we go, are we doing too much? In other words, are we relying on? certain activities to um, draw people in and get people saved, as opposed to just relying on us being true, honest believers of Jesus and just going about our day. And I think that's, to me, the simplified part of the whole thing of being a, a kingdom witness of the gospel is being a true and honest believer and just going about your day. Um when you truly devote yourself and give yourself over to the Lord, when you are absorbed and you're meditating on his word and you are praying on a regular basis, I do honestly believe that by doing that and submitting yourself under the Lordship of Jesus and just go about your day with that, people are going to notice and people are going to recognize. That's that's how the early church started. It wasn't like, it wasn't like everybody just went around house to house, door knocking going, click, click, click. Hey, do you know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Um, it, it wasn't anything like that. There wasn't a track that was left, uh, you know, when they went and ate flatbread at the cafe, you know, there wasn't. Yeah, that would get them fed to the lions. Yeah, there wasn't <laughs> anything like that. It was, now they, they did have some semblances. They had some things that were recognizable that you go, oh, that person's a Christian, you know, because of this symbol or this writing or this thing and that. We see that in early uh, early Christianity. I went and I did a museum tour one time that was uh, in Fort Worth about early Christianity, and they had an exhibit there, and you could see even on some of the early tombs and some of the early things that they would have that uh, that ichthys fish. Mm-hmm. I think it's ichthys, right? Yeah. I always say that wrong. Uh, and they would have that even inscribed on some of those things, and that's how that was an identifying marker if this person was a Christian. Um, and so it's funny how that still translates over to today. We can still recognize that. Obviously, I was laughing when I get cut off by a car and they have one of the little fish <laughs> on it. Um, so that's, that's kind of like a thing that there's, recon- there's this recognizable factor of being a believer that I think what we do is, even as Christians, we rely on the church to be the hub of salvation when really it's the individual's life in Christ that can be what is the hub of leading people to salvation. I think the church is a byproduct of that. um, let me say that the facility, the church meets in is a byproduct (laughs) of that Um, because that's just a, this is the place for us to gather. Like it really, there's no spiritual value to this place other than it's a place that people gather Um, because every function that we do inside this building, we could do outside this building. Uh, Baptisms could be done outside this building. It'd be, we have to be creative, but it has to be done outside this building. The Lord's supper, the institution of that can be done outside this building. Worship can be done outside this building. Bible study can be done outside this building. All of those things can be done outside the building. So the building uh, has to be viewed as a tool to do ministry, um, but it can't be the only tool to do ministry. And just like I think that, um, like for churches, Sunday school can't be the only tool to do Bible study. Um, Worship on Sunday mornings can't be the only tool or avenue for the individual to have worship, you know? To me, when we neglect those things from home or we neglect those things from work, we neglect those things from you know the daily part of our life. I mean, even the Apostle Paul says that we have to pray without ceasing. That means as we're going throughout our day, as we're doing, as we're living, as we're breathing, as we're functioning, we're always in a mode and in a state of prayer to be asking the Lord to either correct things in our heart, to draw us in towards Him, to bring us under submission. All these things have to happen. And uh, I find it very interesting that Um, in multiple times and in multiple ways, we, as the church, (laughs) we tend to isolate a lot of our spirituality and now we get into different things. Uh, but we isolate our spirituality to a set, uh, a set amount of cultural rules that, you know, Sunday is reserved for church. You know, that's, that's a cultural byproduct. Well, you know, you need to start off your week by going to church. I, I don't disagree with that, but I think that the church can meet Monday too and the church can meet Tuesday, and they can meet Wednesday, and they can meet Thursday, and they can meet Friday. I, I don't think that isolating it to one simple day of the week um, is what we have to do. I think that we can go further than that, and I think that's one of the, the problems that we face. A lot of times, in a like you said earlier, a busy Western culture, we don't want to push ourselves further. We're fine and content happy i don't know did that get too deep or too dark
1: no i don't think so
0: (laughs) somebody's gonna call or call in like we're a radio show (laughs) (laughs) somebody's gonna message us later and go you guys made me sad (laughs) sorry we're not trying to make you sad this is just how if you were to sit as a fly on the wall in one of our offices any day of the week this is like a conversation that we would probably be having in one of our offices so anyway your thoughts well,
1: well, now I'm thinking about us trying to figure out how to do it like Dave Ramsey and take live calls and, you know, just answer questions on the fly. I bet, I bet we could do it. it I'm would doing be... great, better than I deserve. Yeah. <laughs> What's
0: he say? <laughs> I don't know, man. That dude makes more money than I will ever see in my life. So I don't feel bad for Dave Ramsey. Yeah, and One I, of the easiest ways to make money is to just talk about it. Well, maybe we should just convert our podcast over into talking about money. I know a, a YouTuber. Money, 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 money.
1: I know a YouTuber. Uh, in the finance space, who makes three million a month?
0: Golly!
1: Yeah, three million a yeah. month. So he
0: also sells a course on
1: like how to analyze stocks. So it's not just YouTube
0: ads, but yes, three million a month. So I'm gonna start a course on how to read the Bible. <laughs> Don't know if that will sell as well. And I'm just <laughs> unfortunately, I'm just gonna read <laughs> Ian Stewart's "Read the Bible for All It's Worth." And I'm just gonna like just quote that the whole time.
1: Here's a bunch of <laughs> Tim Mackey podcasts
0: and videos, and- which I've used. I mean we've done some courses where we've used a lot of those things. Anyway, uh, this whole conversation to me started with, you know, we've been talking about like Wednesday nights, like what are some things that we can do to help people, um, grow in their understanding of the Lord and, uh, all of that. And, uh, about a year ago, Travis had turned me on to, um, a small book called the purple book. And the design of the purple book is to help people, uh, develop and understand their own personal, theology. Um, in other words, it helps you It helps you kind of go, okay, this is what I believe and why uh, instead of just somebody telling you. And I find that that to me is probably one of the bigger things that we could accomplish as a church is helping people know what they believe and why based off what they have studied and what they have researched, not just because you and I have sat down across from them and said, well, we, you can't believe that and here's why. But they, they go, oh, that makes sense. So but Travis, you've actually done more work in that and you've actually been through it a few times. So like what is your interpretation on it?
1: Yeah, so um a guy who sort of mentored me in college. Um now I just consider him a good friend, but his name's Joel Harrell and he he now leads worship at a church in Wapakoneta, Ohio. <laughs> Uh, moved from Nacogdoches to Wapakoneta. Wapakoneta. But uh, he took me and a couple other guys through the purple book when we were at SFA. And the way I kind of describe it to people, like I don't want this to sound intimidating, but it's almost like a systematic theology. Yeah. If it was like really, really small, and rather than like explaining everything to you, like every chapter is on a different topic, um, sort of like a systematic textbook would be. Except for instead of like telling you what to believe, it just asks an open ended question, gives you a Bible verse or two to go read, and then like you come to your own conclusion about what the Bible teaches on whatever the topic is. And so it's a really easy way. Like even most chapters are broken down into like five different lessons, four or five. And so um, you can do like one a morning and it takes like five minutes, maybe. Um, But we took the juniors and seniors in high school through that book recently in their Sunday school class, and they all really, really liked it. But, um I mean, it's not age-specific or anything. Like, I wouldn't want to do it with anybody too young. Mm-hmm. But whether you're youth or much older, like, it's a great resource for figuring out what do you believe and why. Like, what does yeah. the Bible say on all of these different things? Yeah. Um So I love the purple book. I mean, no... No one book will teach you everything, but it's a phenomenal place to start laying a foundation.
0: And I think that that's important because what, what my desire as a minister and a pastor is, is to help people um, learn on their own. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the Catholic church. I don't want to be the buck stops here resource for spiritual knowledge I want that to be something where my, my, I feel like my calling is leading people to a deeper understanding of that on their own, that they're sitting at home and then they come back, you know, days later or a week later and go, Oh my gosh, did you know that the Bible says this wicked, (laughs) right? You know I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk through what that means. And, and I think that's, that's also equally important because it helps us not just, um, it helps us not just develop some sort of superficial understanding, but now the understanding of Scripture is Im- embedded into our belief system. And if we can embed Scripture into our belief system, what we believe about our world, that's going to be vastly important, I think, to the overall function of the church moving forward. I think it, if we can do that, if the majority of of congregants in a local autonomous church can really devote themselves to thinking outside of themselves and outside of the organization and focus in on the kingdom and the theology that comes from loving and knowing Jesus. I think you could see a church that, let's just say this, may not grow exponentially in terms of uh, bottoms in the seats, um, but I think the impact that they leave on their community, the imprint that they leave on their community would be vastly different than it was before. Not to say that that's not how things couldn't go. I mean, we've seen that on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people are added to the church immediately. Like in that day that thousands of people come to a relationship with Jesus, they had to go somewhere. I mean, so I don't know how many little house churches were stuck all over the place, but, (laughs) um, they had to meet somewhere. They had to do something with that. Um, so there's always that possibility that that God could bless that. But I think the reality of the nature and the nature of it is, we have to get past thinking of ourselves and and more towards thinking about Jesus and what that looks like. So anyway, we're pretty much at time. Travis, are there any other thoughts, or questions, comments, concerns, fears, angst, frustrations, conundrums, quandaries?
1: Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about what you said about you know we don't know what the outcome would be. Yeah. Like, I think it'd be awesome if there was another Great Awakening. Oh, man, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Like, I mean, you could see this country like really turned around in a powerful way. But at the same time, I don't know if that's going to happen. Like, we can pray for it. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. Or yeah. maybe it will, but after our lifetime. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just, we don't know and we never will. Um, It's, I mean, I, I kind of think that way. Even every time I'm ending a sermon, it's like if Holy Spirit wants to do some crazy thing, he can. Yeah. And if it seems like no one's responding, well, okay. Like, that's that's what's happening in that moment. And it's like I'm not in control of this. I'm not yeah. responsible for this. Um, Not in like a neglectful way, but it's just you don't know what the outcome will be. But what we do know is where we're at individually, like mm-hmm. what he's working on you personally. And like you said, even if we didn't see exponential growth, you could still see our group of two to three hundred people Yeah. Radically changed, um, just at an individual basis. And if if that's I say if that's all that happens, like that's not a miracle in and of itself. Like, well, then there's still that many people that are being transformed into a people that look more and more like Jesus, and that's a win in my
0: book. Yeah, and I think that's that to me is the interesting piece of, you know, what would it look like if you came into a building on a Sunday morning and everyone looked like Jesus? How weird! Like I, I don't want to say weird, but it would be so different in in the way that we function. I mean, we wouldn't be concerned with whether or not. You know, the right songs were sung. We wouldn't be concerned if the right liturgy was done. uh, We wouldn't be concerned. Who stained the carpet? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was probably me. I'm just going to be honest (laughs) with you guys. I I drink coffee all over this place all throughout the day, so it's probably me. Um, But I think that there would be certain things that we would find that are valuable but just not important, you know. Um, And even Jesus, I think he found value in a lot of things, but he also found that there were certain things that, yeah, even though there's value to this and I can understand the value in the grand scheme of things, there's, it doesn't have the same weight. And so I think that would be an interesting piece to me to see how we could, um, just see how the weight of things would be different. But anyway, well, that's kind of where we're going to close up today. I know that that was, we, we really did that off the cuff yeah i thought it wasn't too bad for off the cuff <laughs> so <laughs> i mean it was a little
1: all over the place i don't know what we landed on when it came to biblical literacy or spiritual formation
0: or i know exactly where we landed you it's know so easy you know where we landed just do better be more like jesus just do better and be more like jesus yeah so that's your application for this podcast <laughs> is just do better be more like jesus and uh but just know too that in these things we are not we are we are always struggling too not just with what we see within our church and within churches as a whole, but also with what we see within ourselves, and trying as pastors to do the best that we can uh, to bring the church into the right direction, to bring the church into a sustainable direction. Um, but also we struggle as ministers to um, continue to see the light at the end of that tunnel, uh, the light in the midst of that darkness, and so for us, just being able to talk through some of these things, address them with you, for you to know where our heart is as it relates to those. Hopefully it helps challenge you and it challenges us at the same time. So uh, thanks for uh, spending just a few moments and listening. And like we said, we're not really sure uh, what next week is going to hold yet. We're just waiting. Uh, We're at D-Day for baby uh, anytime now. So um, we will have to kind of wait and see. But uh, this may be the last episode for a couple weeks. Yeah, we'll see you in one, two, f- four weeks. Whatever. <laughs> Hopefully, Somewhere not that in that long. Uh, if you if I get on the podcast again, it's probably just gonna be a whole lot of yawning and um, <laughs> and snoring. Um, but it's gonna be fun, and I'm excited about it. Thank you for praying for us, uh, church family, and we just hope that this week is a good week for you, and that today can be a day full of rich blessing um, and. Uh, Love towards Jesus.